0: All right. Well, welcome to another episode here of The Investor Frame. I'm uh, uh, fortunate to interview someone I just recently got to know through the collective genius, Casey Gregerson. Um, Casey is a real estate investor based out of Texas, but he does a lot of his investing in Wyoming. So we're we actually have a lot in common. Both he and I were, were former engineers, recovering former engineers and uh, found our way into real estate. So welcome. Welcome in, Casey. It's nice to have you. Absolutely. My pleasure, man. Excited to get into it. Yeah. So like I said, we met at Collective Genius. So obviously, um, you are doing quite a bit in the real estate world. But before we get into that, tell me a little bit about your background because you are an engineer. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, you bet.
1: So uh graduated with a master's in petroleum engineering. Actually, my undergrad before that, I had a undergrad I double majored in math and chemistry with a minor in physics which Whoa. sounds awesome <laughs> but like but what do you do with that like I could have went and I was and it's funny I'm like talking to my advisor senior year and we're trying to figure out what I'm gonna do um and they're like well you could go be a math teacher or you could go work in a lab and I'm like I was not interested in me so yeah fortunately I was lucky enough to get an assistantship at the University of Wyoming and uh and they just had to do a two-year master's program and then I was able to call myself an engineer, which still maybe don't feel like I'm a true engineer. I, I'm a, I mean, I, I guess I think like that. I like the, I enjoy more of the kind of operational things than like leading teams. And I enjoyed being a supervisor as an engineer, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, anyway, so graduated there and then I went, took my full-time job in 2012 with shell in Houston, which was a great, great opportunity to work in corporate America, learn a ton, have a lot of great mentors, um, some extreme, some of the best training in the world for. Learning, I, I learned how to be a drilling engineer, and we were drilling wells from West Texas to Canada to the Gulf of Mexico. And, wow! Yeah,
0: did that for like ten years. Man, so you, if you went to University of Wyoming, that's in Laramie, right? Yep. I used to, uh, I used to go up there with one of my previous jobs where I was selling automation equipment. And I actually was like working with some of the labs out there. They were using some of my measurement products and things like that. So I actually, I've been to the university of Wyoming a handful of times because I was trying to sell them stuff in my mid twenties. So cool campus out there. Um, but you said something too, that I think is interesting about engineers. You know, I was an engineer. I was an industrial engineer and we called those imaginary engineers back when I was in school. Um, so petroleum engineer is much harder, I would say than what I went through, but I never used my engineering degree at all is what I used to say. But I think what we learned how to do going through that process of, you know, getting our education in that is we just, we learned how to think, right. We learned how to problem solve and, and, I feel fortunate to have had that even though I never used it really outside of college. It's just like, it taught me how to reason. It taught me how to solve complex problems. Is that kind of how, uh, kind of how it was for you? Yeah. And it's like, it's the same story. Like even
1: like even interview, I remember interviewing, trying to get my full-time job in grad school, looking at shell and other companies and you're interviewing and you're sharing a lot of different things. And I'm like, ultimately feedback was like, you just got to, you got to get the GPA and you got to check the boxes. But then once you get into your real job, they're going to go retrain you. So I've used almost zero of my like research and my, like I literally did a master's thesis on how to, it was on enhanced oil recovery and how to try to use different uh, chemicals to try to get more oil out of the ground. And then I went and took a job as a drilling engineer, which was more like mechanical stuff and like horizontal drilling and fluids and um, lots of different stuff like that. So never really like literally I was, but I think what college did is it teaches you how to like develop the habits and work through stuff and then problem solve. And then you're able to go into a full-time or a corporate America job and be trained and be able to apply what you learn. And, and like you say, just troubleshooting and working through stuff. Um, I mean, that was the other thing too, is like, I don't know, like I, I I'm more passionate about leadership too. Um, Cause I actually played when in my undergrad, I played college football and I played quarterback and I loved like being on the team and and leading people. And that that's what helped me in like my interviews to ultimately get my full time job or to start it. And then I think that's what I enjoyed and carried into um, into my full time job was like, we got to be like a site leader because we'd go out to the field and we get to lead a site. And even though I didn't know all the technical stuff that was going on, at least I knew some of the intangible like leadership stuff. And then and then further, like when I kind of started my own like real estate company, getting to be a leader and lead a company is
0: my, one of my passions, too. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't know you were a quarterback, so that's cool. I learned <laughs> something about you today. Yep. Um. Hopefully, I'm gonna learn a lot more. So, you were working for Shell, and this was down in Houston, right? Yep. And so, how did you go from that to getting into real estate? Absolutely.
1: So, first thing was um, I, when I was in college at the University of Wyoming. A kind of funny story. My roommates, my roommate's dad owned the house. And then I was paying my roommate rent and he was paying his dad or whatever. But he's like, he was selling the house though, right? As I was moving in and he goes, Hey, why don't you buy the house or or ask your dad about it or something? I'm like, okay. And I asked my dad and he's like, yeah, I could get on board. So ultimately we went and got a mortgage on that first house. I bought it for like 150,000. I put like 10 or 10% down. And my dad helped me with that down payment, which was only like 10 or $15,000, not a whole lot. It was just some of my college savings that I hadn't tapped into yet. Cause I'd had some scholarships and use that money. And my dad co-signed for me. And that was the first property. And I, I was just tickled because now at my, instead of paying rent, my roommates were paying me rent, which was paying the mortgage and pretty much covered everything. And I live for free. I was like, this is cool. So this was right out of college, right? Yeah. Literally actually my last year of college was what I was doing there. And then it was nice. My, when I moved to Houston, my brother moved in. So I had somebody watching it and he could kind of rent it out. And I was like, oh, this is cool now. I'm, And I charged him like half rent. So now I made like, like 200 bucks a month. I was like, cool. Now I'm making 200 bucks a month on this thing. And, uh, and I'm paying down my mortgage. And then a couple of years later he moved out. And so now I could charge for full, full rent. Now I was making 500 a month. And I was like, man, this is still cool. So I just kept doing that. Uh, but I really didn't take any action. I'm like, man, this is cool. And and every year I do my taxes, and I'd have all these write offs, and I'd I'd end up getting a bunch of money back. And I was like, man, this is even cooler. Um, so I just kind of had these cool benefits. And then like, but I didn't do a whole lot. And uh, and I was as far as real estate for about five years. I just had that one property. But then uh, I moved into like a field role within Shell to where I'd work for two weeks on, and I work for two weeks off. And so I had, and literally on my two weeks off, I wouldn't have to do anything. Like I don't even have to pick up my cell phone or my computer. Um, And so I had that extra time. And then what I was also doing though, when I was in the field, we'd be driving around location, location, and just a lot of windshield time. So I started listening to podcasts and books. And the biggest one kind of cliche thing is I read rich dad, poor dad, and that's when it clicked. And he starts talking about assets and liability. And then I'm literally thinking, and I'm applying what he's saying in my head to my rental house. I'm like, Oh, wow this thing has all this other value and all these other things start and all these other bulbs started clicking. Then I just started listening to all the bigger pockets podcasts I could find and reading books and just kind of learning on it. And then yeah, then I was ready to buy the second house, which was literally, I just took that first one five years later and I did a refi cash out. I pulled out like 50,000 and I went and bought a second one. And that second one was like a value add where we converted like a house into a duplex and it made a bunch of cash flow. And then I
0: saw that and then it was just game on, just wanted to keep doing it game on. And so many people get started that way. You know, that's how I got started. That's how most people got started is imagine that. It's, you get started with the first house. You just you you do it, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people get paralyzed cuz they're like, "Well, I don't even know where to start." And the first step is you just you start with one, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of us started by house hacking, kind of like what you did. You just buy a house and you stick a, a couple roommates in it. Um And so just like you, I I sort of did the exact same thing. I bought a house and realized when my girlfriend moved in, like, huh, I'm not paying very much in my mortgage. I'm actually paying less. And I didn't do it where I got the entire mortgage covered and it was cash flowing. And I think a lot of people make the mistake thinking what has to be a perfect deal on your first time. It doesn't because the first deal, you can't get to the second deal unless you've done the first deal. And you can't get to the 10th deal until you've done all those deals. And so you just start stacking them together. You learn as you go. And it sounds like that's what you did. You bought that first house hack, you know, and you realized, oh, there's something to this and uh, started doing some value adds. So you said that was about five years later. Yep. Yeah. And, And like, and the other thing is to your point of doesn't have
1: to be perfect, like made a ton of mistakes, wasn't making much money. And, um, but one thing I did do is I put some like elbow grease into it. And like, we, luckily my father-in-law was pretty handy and he kind of helped show me some stuff. And we, we just kind of like updated the kitchen and did some small things and improved the value. So I did that. And then I let time, which time in real estate is one of your biggest, biggest like advantages. So over five years and doing some little improvements, that's what helped me force that equity appreciation. And now that now I could pull out 50,000. And the other cool thing is when I pulled out that 50,000, I got my dad out to where now right. I could qualify for a loan. I had a full-time job. So he got out. So, but yeah, I think like doing the the little things and then, and then like property management, I started to teach myself property management. I wasn't trying to, but I was managing this house from Houston. Um, again, my brother helped me ease me into it. And then after he moved out, I just kept managing it. But I learned how to manage a property from thousands of miles away from Houston to Wyoming. And I just created processes and and I want, I just read a simple book. I read, uh, read Brandon Turner's book on managing rental properties and I applied some of that, but basically I found out how I could manage a property from states away. And that was another game changer for me. Cause then I didn't have a, it just helped my returns because I wasn't paying a property manager, management company and I was able to do it and it didn't take much time. I was able to systematize it and it didn't. And I just had a system of like showing houses without me being there. Um, Yeah. And then I just ran it myself for years. And then as I added properties in my portfolio, I could always manage them um, because I already knew how to do it. And then eventually once I grew and scaled enough to have enough units, then I'm like, I can't manage all these. So then I went and actually, I'm going off on a rabbit hole for sure, but this is a cool one. I hired a virtual assistant in Mexico because I'm like, I can't do all this, but it was actually when COVID hit, this is in 2019. And uh, like everybody's locked down, nothing to do. And I'm like, this business doesn't run without me. So I'm like, I got to figure this out. And I had another book I'd read was four hour work week. And I'm like, wow, I got to get, I got to get to that. And I got to hire virtual assistants. So anyway, hired a couple out of Mexico and I documented everything I was doing in this property management business. And, and yeah, and I just started training virtual assistants and wasn't easy. Didn't happen in a week. Didn't happen in a month, but over several months, I finally got to where my virtual assistants now today can manage all my properties for me to where I've now got over 60 units and literally virtual assistants. And they, they're starting wage uh, for us. And they're happy as heck at five fifty an hour. They start there and they can manage property and do all the things that I was doing from Houston.
0: Incredible. Well, and I'm sure being an engineer and being technically minded, I mean, if you're going to go out of state and start investing, a lot of people are scared by that i've never really done that now i say out of state i manage a airbnb that's about 5 hours away it might as well be out of state but what we what you find actually is by by going further out and i've noticed this with other people especially what you're telling me right now is it forces you to build systems and processes like you can't do this without those and so i'm not saying it's easier but it's like it forces you to do things that you may not have have done if it was just, you know, a 10 minute drive down the road, you know? So sounds like you, you basically used that opportunity to build all your systems and your processes out right up front. Yeah, totally. You just had to, yeah, you don't have a choice and it
1: forces you to do it and it forces you to invest in paying other people to do it depending on other people. And, and yeah, I totally agree. It's just, it's too easy. If it's your house down the road. All right, I'm just going to go
0: fix it. myself. Um, yep. you know, and then and you rely a- on yourself and you can only go so far if you're doing everything. That's right. Well, and and there's there's another thing that I'm kind of taking out of this which is everybody is you know, you listen to bigger pockets, you listen to a lot of these podcasts and they're saying the same things. I I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, I started listening to Bigger Pockets, I read all Brandon Turner's books. You know, my bookshelf probably looks almost identical to yours, right? I've read the 4-Hour Workweek. I've read, read the Managing Rental Properties and all the books that they've put out. That is a pathway to success. It's not like it's rocket science, you know? All it takes is immersing yourself in the content and surrounding yourself with the right people and relationships. Completely so, agree. So, okay, so you started buying some rentals out of state. Tell me a little bit about what your business looks like today. Yeah. I mean, the other transition and add to
1: that of like learning is um, I found a partner in, in Dallas Fort Worth and he he was looking, he, he, he's like, hey, I want to do real estate, but I don't know how I could see you're clearly doing it. Um, so we kind of created a partnership to where he was able to bring some of the money and we we're able to co-sign on loans. And we actually did the birth strategy which is buy, rehab, refinance, repeat. So we were buying distressed properties, fixing them up and keeping them as rentals. And we started doing that in Dallas-Fort Worth, um, which was great. But I, to the reason I bring it up is like, I was listening and learning all these different things. And that's where a lot of people get stuck as they just listen and learn and don't take action. But I had a great opportunity where I could learn it and then I could be doing it in real time. And like literally learning the lessons, learning about it, applying it, kind of reiterating, getting better, like literally on on the fly. So that was like kind of the best training ground was like, learn it, do it, iterate. Um, Mm -hmm. But at the same time, learned a lot of lessons there the hard way Um, in that market, learned a lot of lessons about how to raise money, about how to like financing and how to work, how do you like using hard money lenders, using bank money and just contractors and learned a lot of stuff the hard way, which that's why I think it is. You you talked about it a second ago. It's super important to surround yourself with somebody who does know what they're doing and have a mentor and somebody to bounce things off because they'll help you avoid so you don't have to learn it all the hard way, which unfortunately I've done throughout my life. Um, but we're getting better. We now we surround ourselves with mentors so we we can mm-hmm. avoid that. But but to answer your question is um, yeah. So it well, was hold on a sec.
0: Let me ask you Sorry. real quick because like you are touching on something that was a real hard, it was really hard for me to get over the financing side. You know, when I had a W-2 job like like you did, you know, I was buying all these properties. We'd buy it, we'd move out in a year and we'd turn it into a rental. And we did that like four times. One of the biggest fears that I had when I left my job was like, I'm never going to be able to get a loan again. And so financing was a big problem in my head. Maybe it was a limiting belief. At the time, and I'm sure there's a lot of people who are out there struggling with, well, the interest rates are this, and well, I I don't know where. How do you guys raise money? I don't have family members or friends that are willing to lend me cash or or whatever. So, like, let's talk about that for a second. The financing piece of all this because it's a huge roadblock for a lot of people. Hundred percent. Yeah, that's if there's one thing that I I'm passionate about too. I almost. Sometimes I
1: joke around I wish I would have went to school for finance cuz I love I love talking finance I love talking to bankers but and this is where all this comes from is years of talking to bankers going to lunch and getting to know these guys and getting to know their world so I can play by their rules and ultimately grow and scale a company um, through like banks and 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 private money and all these different things but I mean the biggest thing is is developing I think relationships with these people and like looking at as a long-term thing, like I'm, this isn't my last loan I'm going to do with it. I'm going to do one and then I'm going to get their confidence. I'm going to do another. And then once you start to build those up, now you've got multiple. And and I would encourage people to do with multiple banks. Like don't just go all in with one other one, use multiple people, maybe try this bank on And you don't have to be doing three properties at a time, but maybe just rotate it. The first property, this bank, next one, this bank. Cause then you start to build a reputation and you start to get trust with these guys. Um, and, and that helps you so much down the road because, because the other piece is the W2 income, right? If you've got a W2 and that's why I kept my job at Shell for so long is I was getting, I I, I love my banks were like, they were the only they were one of the main reasons I kept it. Cause they're like, Mm -hmm. we love that W2. We'll keep, we'll keep this going. And I kept getting favorable terms, um, and able to grow. Right. Um, so that's a big thing is having the W2 helps you a ton. There are workarounds, which I'll go into a second, but. Um, but having that is big. And if you don't have it, find somebody else that does. Like maybe you do need to partner with somebody who does have a full-time W-2 job. And then, but you, but they don't have the time you do or the experience. Like that's one great way, is just get one person who's got that predictable income. The other way, which is what I kind of try to do, was like start to build a business while I had the W-2 to where. I could finance it. Plus, I'm growing that reputation with these banks, right? Like these banks know me. They've done all these deals with me. They've seen the hard times. They've seen the good times. And they've seen that I'm like, they know me as a person. And then I'm also starting to show that this business is profitable. And I'm starting to show it very important. Show your business is profitable on your tax returns. Do pay yourself. So eventually, kind of my pathway and my goal, and I didn't get perfect on this, but I wanted to show a couple years of income through my company to where once I left the W2, I would be able to easily transition and not have to compromise. Now I don't have a W2 income because now I've got a business that's been paying me for a couple of years. So essentially the same, depending on what banker you ask. Um, but but that was kind of the biggest way to do it. And then um, yeah, and then again, so now I still have the income. These guys have done deals with me. and um, yeah, just relationships. If all if you hear anything through all that, creating relationships with bankers, we even with
0: private money people,
1: is, is a, it's a long game and it makes all the difference
0: and i couldn't agree more everything in this business is about relationships but i i we say that and i still think people are like but i don't know any bankers how do i build these relationships what would you say to someone that 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 asked that question yeah it's a really good one
1: um the, the best number one way is to get a referral. That's the best way to get your foot in the door and, and get you in front of the right person. Because there's a ton of banks. They're, they're all out yep. there all over the way. And all bankers, hear this for sure, all bankers are not created equal. There are a ton of bankers that will tell you exactly what you want to hear when you go in there. And they'll make you feel, you'll be all excited because they're, they're salespeople too. And then you go to get your loan approved and you get to the last step and then it doesn't get approved. And then you're back to square one. And you've invested all this time. You send them all these documents. You've given all these things could be, that's a suit. That's another lesson I learned. And it was super frustrating, but try to, if you can get a referral, talk to somebody who's doing what you're doing in your market um, or reach out to one of us and we'll try to connect you, but find somebody in that market who knows banks and then have them make an intro. Cause that's going to, a they're just going to put you in front of the right people from the start and not, Because the other strategy is you just go start talking to as many bankers as you can. And that's not a bad idea if it's your only option. But try to get referrals and get in front of the right people. And yeah, and then be prepared. Like the biggest thing is come into that. Like when you go to meet that banker, have your financials in order. Um, And I've got some stuff I can share with people what they're looking for. But come ready. Because if you come ready, there's so many people that come to these bankers and don't have any stuff ready. And they just makes that banker's job so difficult. And they hate working for people like that. But once when they get somebody who's organized and replies to their emails and gets them what they want when they want it, they'll work hard for you. And and you'll just it just it it, that will stream that will accelerate your relationship with the banker.
0: Yep. Yeah. So it's it's showing up to meetups. It's reaching out, like pick up the phone. Imagine that, right? In sales, pick up the phone find these people it's about being intentional about it you have to get out of your comfort zone and start asking these questions who do you know that 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 writes these kind of loans do you know any bankers that i could speak to about these types of things i love that 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 to me held me back for for a long time as i was just like reading books to try to figure it out eventually i figured out that you're not going to solve that in a book you're going to solve that out in the world having relationships talking to people the people who are actually doing it are the ones who can show you how to do it you know so it makes total sense to me now it didn't at the beginning so if you're asking yourself well i don't know how to get financing start asking people how do i get financing and i love your strategy of which i didn't do which was build your business before you leave your job because you're going to have a problem without being able to show that income to get the traditional conventional type loans that are out there. Right. But we also know there's other ways to finance deals. And I'm sure, like I said, we could have a whole podcast on that. Mm -hmm. Um, but why don't you give me maybe like a couple other ways that other, that people could fund or finance these deals, these rentals or these flips, these types of projects, if they don't qualify for bank financing.
1: Yeah, totally. A couple, couple ones. Um, Back to that referral thing, though, I want to encourage people, like, don't feel like you're asking or, oh, I can't go ask him to make a referral or that's you're asking something to that. Like, that's a that that's a two way street, because if I make a referral to somebody to another bank, that banker appreciates me. Right. So I'm like, it's mutually beneficial when you go get referrals. So don't ever I encourage people to never. That's not a big ask. Like, if you're asking somebody to just go be your mentor for free, like that, that's an ask. But asking somebody to make a referral is not right Um but yeah, so to answer your question, um, a lot of ways. So ultimately, if you don't have the, the W-2 yourself, um, a good W-2 income, and even if you have a W-2, you're still going to hit a ceiling. Um, so very important, I think, early on is people don't just go to a mortgage company. You've got to start talking to small banks early on, because even if you go through mortgage companies, and they're great. I've got them, too. I, those are great loans. But you're going to hit a cap, and whether you hit that cap at four. Typically at 4, that's when it starts getting really difficult after mm-hmm. 4. You can go to 10. I know that. <laughs> but yeah, but once you get to 4, there the the criteria gets it's stupid hard. And honestly, in my opinion, it's not even worth it after 4 because there's so many headaches and so many hoops. I yeah. would rather just go to a smaller bank or a credit union and develop those relationships. And the nice thing about those guys is they're less they like the W2 but they will lend more based on the asset. They'll lend it more based on the property. If the property is cash flowing, so you might be able to find banks and relationships there to where they're not as worried about your W-2 income. They're worried about the property. So I say, that's the first one. Second one is I already mentioned about finding a partner that can co-sign with you. That's one way you're obviously going to have to give up a part of the deal. Um, Or you can even find like more of a sponsor or a private money guy. So one a lot of private money guys do this to where they'll actually be the um they'll be the guy signing the personal guarantee or whatever the bank's like they'll be the guy signing who's got you're basically signing they're signing for their balance sheet so you'll typically have to give up a piece of your deal but if you're struggling getting financing it might still make sense to get cut them in and maybe they're actually going to put up your equity so the way I've done it is sometimes I don't want to put in the 20 or 25% down I want to carve out a piece of that to a, a private money guy so I'll combine bank financing financing plus equi- or plus a private money or equity financing and to where I don't have to put any money into the deal. And, and that would work for me if I didn't have a W-2 job. So that guy, again, that guy that's putting in the money is also co-signing on the loan. He's going to want a little bit more of a percentage of the deal, uh, but that's okay. That might be the only way to get the deal done. And half of the deal is better than no deal. Mm-hmm. So that'd be the other way to bring it in is bring in a co-signer and or a guy that brings in capital. Um, and then the last thing I think is just uh, like it's it's leveraging what you currently have as assets and like going and getting a home equity line of credit on your house. Or if you got money in the start or borrowing against your 401k, a lot of people, some people are against that, which I don't understand. I'd rather control that money. And and yeah, I think that's a great way. Or even leveraging your money uh, like a Roth IRA. There's a lot of different ways that you can borrow against that and fund deals that way. Um And then the last one is just going through like a private money or hard money lenders to where you're going to give up more The you're going
0: to pay a higher percentage rate. But if it's a good enough deal, then, then who cares? You know, there's so many options, but it just feels paralyzing. At least it did to me. I'm like, I don't know what to do. How am I going to get this money? Point is, is if you're trying to do it, there's so many options. Casey, you just laid out like a bunch of them. Go get a partner, go borrow against other assets that you have. You know, um, it's funny. I, actually just completely liquidated my 401k last, last year because <laughs> I'm like, I, I just, I give me that cash. I'm going to yeah. go invest it in real estate. That's what I chose to do. I don't know if that's right or wrong. Some people will probably agree or disagree, but it's, it's not their choice. It's my preference, right? Point is, yeah. is you have people that have capital that want to invest in real estate. Everybody does. It's just about opening your mouth and being vocal about it. Um, okay. So we've talked about the financing side of things. And so tell me a little bit more about uh, what we were were about to get to, which is what your business looks like today. You bet. So yeah, a couple
1: of years ago, so I told you about building the property management company. Kind of my next step was finding deals. So, So in Wyoming, I was buying on the MLS up until like 2018, and I was able to find stuff that I could fix up and create value, or I could just buy at a discount, or the rental cash flow just made sense. Um, but up in, yeah, about 2019, I'm like, man, now the market started to go up and it was harder to make numbers work. So I was like, I got to go direct to seller. I got to start negotiating directly with sellers. So what I did is I invested in a mastermind that helped me build out my, um, my acquisitions company. I call it, it's wildhouses.com. We, we go direct to seller and we do tons of different marketing to get in front of sellers. And now this initially I just created it to, to fund so I could keep growing my portfolio and finding good deals. And then it turned into this awesome machine now that some deals we don't even close on. Some deals I won't keep. Some of them, some of them I'll flip, some of them I'll just sell right to another cash buyer and let them make the money. And I'll just cover some of our marketing costs. So it's kind of created this cool lead flow engine that we can we can kind of crank up or we can slow down. But ultimately it's 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 really the lifeblood of the company to where like this is what feeds um, it feeds all the parts of my ultimately an integrated company, which is we'll fix and flip stuff, uh, which we've been doing for a while um, because we've been renovating properties. And just by nature, sometimes we'll just, we'll, we'll either plan to flip it from the outset or sometimes a couple of years later, we're like, all right, let's sell that thing and invest it into another asset and do like a, do some tax strategies to, to avoid the taxes. Mm -hmm. And ultimately parlay. And that's another big reason what's Kind of helped me grow is I've been able to parlay deals that I bought five years ago that appreciated, and then I sold those to buy bigger assets Mm -hmm. and um, and and use more leverage. Um, so yeah, and then the third part of the company is um, so yeah, so we can we've got the lead flow, we can uh, manage our own flips, and we're 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 moving toward we can do it be a contractor for other people, but we've been so busy with our flips that we haven't got there yet. So we've got like a, a renovation company, and then last thing is the property management. So. The whole point is I wanted to build an integration company that would work together to where my project managers and contractors can help my property management to where, because that's a big thing property management is when you have repairs and little things that pop up. So we've there's a ton of synergy for us there. And the fact that I am virtual, right? It's nice now that my property managers that are sitting in Mexico, they can call the property, the project manager and say, hey, we got to get this fixed. And then they can coordinate things, get addressed much quicker. But again, then I got the other pipeline feeding more deals to where, where we're at now is um, we've just proven this strategy that in Wyoming, and, and we see it in Montana as well, but taxes are so low and the property values are still reasonable enough that we can buy properties that cash flow, like people would be blown away. Like, like a house I bought for 250000 and I could rent it for 2500 a month. I self-manage it, but that puts, with my mortgage and everything, um, and this was at more like five or six percent, maybe not as much as seven or eight, but still good. That property makes a thousand dollars of cash flow a month. Crazy! Which literally, that's that's after my mortgage is paid, all expenses. It's putting a thousand bucks in my in my bank account every month, or in our business bank account. So, kind of what I've been doing more of now is like doing more turnkey stuff because like these rental numbers look good, and heading into this market where it's a lot harder to flip, and and prices are depressing. Um, our big thing is like, hey, rentals are better than ever. And this is a market where the rentals make sense and you can still cash flow and you've just got all the other benefits. So we've been doing more of that to where we're fixing, we're finding the deal, fixing it up and selling it turnkey to somebody who doesn't know all these different things. And they just want to, plus they just want to buy it ready to go, right? And they want to put 25% or they want to maximize their leverage, put a good loan on it and just make the cash flow, get all the write offs and all that. Like they want to have it. So that's one big thing. And then the other big thing we're doing is we're now going out and starting to raise more private money and actually work into raising a fund to where we can put all these deals into a fund. Because if you're playing the long game, because right now things are stressful, right? Because it's harder to flip markets, dipping in real estate. A lot of people are stressed. But what I like is we're in it for the long game. We're going to start to see prices. Now they're finally going back to being reasonable again. So as buyers, this is a great time for us to be buying. And the rental market's better than ever. So we're building this fund to where we can buy these properties, fix them up, and hold them as rentals, and just play the long game and just ride the appreciation, ride the cash flow, and ride the tax write-offs.
0: I mean, you just become your own biggest buyer is what happens, right? right. And And I don't know a ton of people investing in Wyoming and Montana. Um, so that's, that is so cool that you found this niche where um, you know, I'm here in Denver, like we don't have cash flow. We just don't. Like there's just it's hard to find it in in, you know, especially in the Denver metro area. Uh so, so to hear that you've gone to these other, you know, markets and found amazing cash flow here in the West is is super cool. And I I love that, you know, the the way that you built this out was well, you got the financing side of things sorted. You got the the deal flow which gives you so much optionality you can keep it as a rental you can flip it you can wholesale it now you're adding additional optionality where we can sell it to ourselves or we could sell it turnkey and i think that's what a lot of people um that get into investing they get past that well I got to figure out how to get my financing. I got to figure out how to source deals. And you know, you get those two engines kind of running. And then you get your, your, your construction, or I just call it operations side of the business. In your case, you've got the the construction side and the property management side. You get the you get that done. Well, then what's the next logical step? It's like, well, how do we help passive investors? get into this space. And I think that's what you're saying. That's the opportunity that you're pursuing now. hundred percent. Yeah. Cause it's like, we've built it out, but but we're, we hit a ceiling too, right?
1: Like I've, um, I think you talked about it early. Like in a lot of people like this, they don't have a bunch of money. I didn't have a big, yeah. I didn't have a big hedge fund behind me to go buy a bunch of stuff. Like it's been me self, like through my financing and through my W2 job and through taking out line of credits on properties that had equity. That's how I've grown it. But like you hit a ceiling, you can only hit, do so many deals. But now, now that our deal flow, and we crank that thing up, we've got deals. And the best way to take advantage of these deals is to buy and hold them, or that's yeah. the least risky, right? Like it's risky to flip all these. Um, but buying and holding is there's such low risk. And, and yeah, and then you when you bring in other passive people and, and show them, it's like now I've been seeing this cash flow, and I've been seeing the value in like, Getting all these benefits of real estate, paying down my mortgage, making cash flow, the tax write-offs, and then you start to bring in somebody passive and say, "Hey, you have no idea." Like people, people are excited and think real estate is sexy, but like if they only knew all the different advantage of like having a rental property is, I think it's that's what's exciting is when you start to explain all these different things and the light bulb clicks for them. It's pretty exciting that they get it now. They get to have an opportunity to take advantage of it.
0: Well, we know those those advantages. But for those who might be listening to this, who aren't perfectly clear on the advantages of buying real estate, buying a turnkey product, investing in a fund, what are some of those benefits? Yeah.
1: Like the big one we haven't even hit on is just taxes and like what they call bonus depreciation. Like another cool thing people don't realize is like, uh, we like my income and that's, it's this, I'll back up a little bit. So like my family and stuff, they're like, oh, you can't lose your W-2 job. You can't do that. Like, what about all your benefits? I'm like, if I just did the math on how much taxes I'm paying in my W-2 job and I make that same amount in real estate, like the amount of money, like my real estate income, because of all the tax benefits, it's it literally gets wiped out to where at the end of the year, I'm getting money back from the government. Yeah. And these are all within the guidelines. Like The government wrote the tax code to incentivize real estate investors.
0: So what did, what did yeah. Jimmy say at CG? He was like, This country was built by real estate investors for real estate real- investors. I'm like, <laughs> damn right it was, Jimmy. I love it. That's right. And most people don't know and they don't know what that even looks like. But literally, I guess to
1: frame it up, what it looks like in my world is I'm not having to pay taxes on the money I'm making because it's all wrote, it's all written off. And in, in a way, you're kicking the can down the road to where potentially I'd be paying taxes later. But then there's these other set of tax benefits to where you can keep kicking it down the road until you put it into a trust and you pass away and give it to your kids and never pay taxes. It's unbelievable. So I think that's the biggest one that people that kind of know about it, but they don't know exactly what it means and how it could help them. And I just encourage people to like bring it up to your CPA and say, hey, because I mean, I can tell you like how it fits me and I could tell you all the different reasons, but most CPAs, if they're any good, are going to understand the benefits of real estate. And they're going to be like, Hey, based on this, what's happening, which everything you got going on, then they're going to be able to make a recommendation. And then I encourage people to reach out like you or myself and, and then go out to somebody in real estate that knows what they're doing and say, Hey, how do I make this happen? And whether that's going into a fund and getting some of those same tax benefits, or that's going turnkey, everybody's situation is a little different, but that's what I encourage people. So I love to talk to them and help guide you into one of those things. And whether it's with our
0: fund or somebody else's fund or Some other turnkey product? Um, just want to let's let's pull that apart for a second because what I found is we tend to use a lot of words and phrases that obviously we're super familiar with, so but funds and turnkey are very different. Can you explain what what when we say turnkey, what does that mean? Yes,
1: totally. So the way I divide it up is Do you want to be, how active do you want to be versus passive? So a fund is going to be completely passive. Um, You're going to put X amount of dollars into a fund, into a real estate fund. So you're going to get all the benefits. It's going to be backed by real estate. Um, I think it's going to be very, one of the other reasons we haven't talked about us. I think real estate is just overall very low risk. Like you put your money in stocks, those stocks can go to zero. Real
0: estate should never go to zero. So you're always going to have some value there. We call um. it old man money in the whale club, right? Oh. It's like, it's that, it's been around for hundreds of years. People talk about stocks or crypto and things like this. And I'm like, there's a, there can be a lot of upside. But I choose to pack my portfolio with a ton of reliable, consistent old man assets, right? And you can invest in funds and get a lot of the same benefits as you do being an active investor. Now, it's not all the same right? There's all these nuances and different things, right? And of course, you want to talk to a tax professional or a real estate investor that knows what they're doing. But but that's the advantage of investing in a fund, right? It's completely passive. Totally. But you still can get a lot of those benefits. So yeah, that's the fund is like, hey, I want to be hands off.
1: Great for yeah, people that are like making good money um, in their W-2 job, just don't have any time, don't even have the time or bandwidth to think about like owning a property. Um, well, who so is that, the, right? The-
0: it's like, these are the engineers that are still working at Shell. These are the yep. people that I worked with in for you know for eight years before I got into real estate. They're sales leaders, they're doctors, they're lawyers, they're business owners that are in another business, right? These are they're crypto investors that have made tons of money in the last you know year or two. It's like they're great opportunities to get exposure to a to a highly reliable, highly secure asset class doesn't mean there's no risk, just means it's significantly lower risk. Of course, in our opinion, not financial advice, but relative to the other options out there, we've decided that this is the best place to put our money for reliable, consistent returns over time. And if you're a professional making money or an entrepreneur making money, that is a great opportunity for you, right? You don't have enough time. You don't want to deal with toilets. You don't want to deal with tenants. The funds, the syndications that are out there, they're the best opportunities that I've come across. Yeah, 100%. Like I talk to a lot of people um, that are kind of around our age or maybe
1: 30s to 50s, but they're like, they're doing well in their job. They're making good money, but they got, and they got families, right? That's the other thing is so many people, like they've got kids, they're running around. They do not have any extra time to be doing this. And they're like, how the heck do you have time? I was like, well, I built out systems and whatnot. But the benefit for them is they don't have to go do all that they can take this extra money they've got, then they've got no time to figure out where to put it. Or I mean, I wouldn't say they've got no time to operate it. They can do some due diligence to make sure it's a good fit. But getting those guys an opportunity to get into real estate through like a fund, that's one of the coolest parts. And then then now they get that kind of, now they're in the game, now they're in the real estate game. And, and it's a great way to get in without having to know it all. And they're just through like the updates and through just conversations, they're going to start to get their ears wet with it. And, mm-hmm. and that's a great way to start it. And, and maybe to answer your second thing is then maybe down the road, they want to go turnkey or maybe they got a little extra time and they um, they want to be a little more involved. And that's where I would go turnkey. So turnkey, again, you don't need to be a flipper. You don't need to know how to manage property. You don't have to know anything to do turnkey. You just, the additional workload is you're going to probably go get your own financing. Um, you're either going to pay cash or you're going to go through a small bank. But again, we'll make a referral on those type of deals too. We're going to set you up with the right bank to where you can, if you want to use leverage, we're going to help you do that because that's the that's the best way to accelerate your, if you want to be aggressive and, and really grow your wealth, using leverage is a great way to do that in real estate. Unlike any other industry, which that's a whole nother rabbit hole to go down. We'll, we'll wait on that. But, but ultimately, turnkey, set them up, find them the loan, find them the property. And the biggest thing on those ones that's cool is they're cash flowing day one. So when I go buy a property, I've got this holding time. I've got to buy it and then I've got to clean it up and then I've got to renovate it and then i got to find a tenant. And that might be 12 months or it might be a couple of months, who knows? But that's time where I'm not making anything on the property. Also, I'm putting up all, like I might finance it. Then I got to put all my cash into it to fix it all up. And then I got to go refinance it to pull out my equity. The beautiful part about Turnkey is it's all done for you and the tenant's in place. So when you buy that property, you literally the next month you're creating income. Immediately, you're buying a business leverage, right? You can go to seventy five percent. You could go to a bank, maybe eighty percent, and only put twenty percent down, and start like start making money day one. I like to to say you're,
0: you know, I like to say you're buying a business, right? Good point. You're not really buying a house because houses come with a whole bunch of problems. Like like you said, you got to fix the house up, then you got to go. Well, first of all you got to get the financing. First of all you got to find the house, right? That takes a lot of work. Then you got to get the financing, then you probably got to do the work to fix it up, then you got to put the tenant in there. And what turnkey does is it skips all that and it's like, how about I do all that work? Cuz we've got businesses and systems to do all that. I'll just sell you the house with the ten- w- you know, with the repairs done so you don't have to worry about capex for the next 5-10 years. In a lot of cases, we got the tenant picked out for you. All you got to do is buy it and collect your checks. Now there's, there's more to it than that. I'm making it sound oversimplified, right? Of course we know that real estate, it's almost, you know, if you're, if you're managing properties, it's never passive. The, the lies that they told us in bigger pockets that you can just go collect a handful of these properties and you'll make cash flow and you'll never have to work again in your life. It's like, that's not exactly true. Turnkey is not, a, a, it's not saying passive entirely. It's saying, we're going to cut out the majority of the work on the front end and, and hand you over a business that's already making money. So I like to think of it as more of buying a, a functional business with a tenant in place. We're going to do all that work. That's how we get paid is by doing all that and selling that product turnkey to a different investor. Totally. And yeah, and you still even
1: like the property management, right? You could still farm that out, and we will still offer it on our our turnkey step to where you don't have to be worrying about fixing the toilets, finding finding a bunch of contractors because that's one of the other battles is when you're buying in another market, it's like when thing bad things happen, who fixes it? How do you make sure it gets done right? Like that's one of the big risks with rental properties. But if you've got a good property manager who has good relationships. And could put good tenants in there. Like that one little quick thing I'll say on property management your money is made when you on your tenant screening. If you find good tenants, man, your life is easy. Like they pay, they took good care of the house. But if you don't, you have a lot of obstacles. So that's one a of the of biggest pain. things there. But but again, you don't have to do all that in turnkey. You could find a company that'll do it for you. And um, yeah, and then it, it's almost like a dividend. Like you're just making a little bit of monthly cash flow, but you get mortgage pay down. You get, the, um, yeah, you're getting to cash flow. you're getting the appreciation of the asset, right? Versus a dividend. if I, I could we'll compare it to Shell, Shell does a dividend, so it's a little bit more reliable sh- stock, not up and down as much, but it's still a lot more up and down than these real estate assets that, over time, continue to go up. Mm-hmm. And then again, last thing I want to say is bonus depreciation. You can go get that on turnkey. Again, talk to your tax advisor, make sure it applies. but unbelievable thing here is that house, say you buy it for 200,000 turnkey, just using round numbers, roughly 20% of that, even if you use debt on it, I like to tell people like, so say that $200,000 house, say you only put 40,000 down. What's crazy is you can like turn around and write off in year one, this year, you could write off $40,000 of that. 40,000 is a round number. You have to get a cost segregation to to do all that. But a general rule of thumb is it's like 20% of the value. It's not 20% of what you put in. It's the whole house. Like, you're right. literally depreciating the bank's money, which is a huge write-off. And a lot of people don't realize it's, it's, it's a game
0: changer. That's because the United States was founded by real estate investors for real estate investors. So yeah. if you're not investing in real estate, you should probably look into it. There's really two options. You can go active or you can go passive. You want to build the systems and the processes that Casey and I have spent a lot of time doing. It can be very lucrative it can also be a job and take a lot of time and energy. I mean, we work hard at what we do, right? So it's not passive. Um if you want to invest in passive opportunities, it all comes down to relationships, just like every aspect of real estate. You got to you got to get into communities and get around other real estate investors like yourself, like other people in collective genius. And and these are the people that can help provide these turnkey opportunities, these, these fund options, these types of things. And so, um, it it just all comes back to relationships. It always centers around that. The more people, you know, the better off you're going to be in this business. So, um, anything else you want to add about turnkey or raising private money? I know you are, you're doing a lot of that. So if you guys are looking to invest in Wyoming, reach out to Casey. I want to make sure I got some some information there. I think it's it's a super cool niche. Like I said, I don't, I've not run into anybody who's doing a lot of investing in Wyoming. Seems like a really cool opportunity to get into a market that's extremely stable. What we know, what you were sharing with me about the Wyoming market is extremely stable from a rent perspective. So um, yeah, you guys want to learn more about uh, turnkey investing or about investing into funds? Reach out to Casey. He's he's an expert on it. Um yeah. I mean, I'd love to even if it's I just like talking to people here and there,
1: like what are they looking for? Right? What are they what are their real estate goals? And if it fits into that bucket of being turnkey or or um or being more passive in a fund, like awesome. And we'll let you know what we can do. But if not, maybe they want to be more active and maybe they want to actually go buy a house and them and their wife want to do, want to fix it up or they want to put some over or get their kids on it or do something to create, maybe they want to create equity, like we'll point you in that direction. But Mm -hmm. just in general, um, yeah, just the Wyoming and Montana market where we've invested so much in. And the reason I didn't cover this, and I guess I'll wrap up here is, like I was looking, I'm I'm in Houston, but Houston is such a competitive market. Even Denver, those markets, the front range, so competitive, right? But in Wyoming, the reason I like it is prices are still affordable and you're able to still like, I just like it because the numbers make more sense. There's less competition. Our downside has always been a lot of people, a lot of my colleagues in Houston. They'll get a contract and they'll sell it to somebody. They'll be, they'll be ten people jumping on it in Houston or in Denver. There's not that happening in Wyoming. There's you're not competing against a bunch of buyers. So that's why it's turned out to be with us such a good. We, as you said, we had to, we had to become our own buyer. But now we're excited just to now other people can be their own buyer and we can provide that kind of turnkey service to where they can take advantage of that market where there's not a bunch of buyers, but there's not a bunch of competition where prices aren't super inflated. Um, They've been just kind of been more steady over time. One interesting thing is like, if you look in like Laramie and Cheyenne some cities in Wyoming in 2008, it was a flat line. It didn't see this big drop, but granted, it's just always been raising 3% a year. So it's not Austin, Texas, where you've been like this or Denver, Colorado, where you've been like this for the last 10 years, but it's been steady. And because of things like the university and things about like the state and the air force base, there's just been steady. So it's not a market to get rich quick on, but if you're playing the long game, which we are, that's why we're so excited about it.
0: Yeah. I mean, and, and last thing I'll, I'll add is that if you're in, if you're a more experienced investor who's trying to figure out how to take it to the next step, creating a fund so you can sell directly to yourself. I mean, the process is no different. You're going to go in, you're going to get that house. You're going to renovate it. You're going to put the tenant in it. The question is, do I sell it to a turnkey buyer? or Do I keep it myself in a fund? Do I sell it to myself or do I sell it to an individual buyer? just comes back to having optionality, right? That's what we want as real estate investors. We want a lot of options so we can pick the best path forward. So, man, we didn't touch on this, but like I, you know, somebody is, is, uh, has made it when they've got good swag. So I really like your hat. Um, no, I'm kidding, but, uh, I'm a hat guy. So I like, first thing I do is make, make cool hat, uh, swag. So I really like your hat. Thanks man. I, I agree. <laughs> That's I've gotten more compliments on this one than any other.
1: I'm with you. We've done like branded shirts and all that stuff, but like these kind of, these custom hats, these are actually made in Laramie Wyoming small really? town. So yeah, they're not and and it's funny. I, get compliments across the country. I almost start to give those guys business across the country now because yeah they love the love the kind of outdoors look. I think in our logo too we've got the mountain logo on it too. Yeah. That's our company logo kind of going with the definitely nice. with the theme where I
0: grew up and, and kind of making it making it have that Wyoming feel. Looks awesome man. Well I, I I really enjoyed this conversation. I think a lot of people are going to learn a lot of from this about what it looks like to get started in real estate, what it looks like to grow your business and then what it looks like to take the next step into kind of the next level, right? So um, if you guys got you know value from this, like, subscribe, all the things, right? Casey, how can people get in touch with you if they wanted to learn more about investing in Wyoming, investing in funds, things like this, private lending? Yeah, totally. Um,
1: we've got a YouTube channel. Um, if you just search my name, Casey Gregerson. And then the biggest thing is uh, I would recommend if you people are on Instagram, follow me on Instagram. It's real easy, at Casey Gregerson. We do a ton of content. We do a ton of reels, um, something I'm p- passionate about. So yeah, I would follow me there, direct message me from there because I'd love to like, ultimately we want to engage with our audience more. And so yeah, people follow me there. They can also see the longer content on YouTube um, and even Facebook. We put everything, if you're not an Instagram guy, if this is a some of the older demographic that haven't jumped on Instagram follow me on Facebook or add me as a friend because we post all our content there and it's just a good way to engage. So yeah, I'd love for anybody. LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn as well. So
0: cool. That's Gregerson all E's E E E E three E's. I had, I made that mistake a few times. So um, anyways, man, it was a pleasure getting to, uh, to chat with you today. Thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Paul. This was fun. I'll see you in January, I guess. That's right. All right.